Well, it's good to be back with you today. Um, this Sunday is Palm Sunday. I'm continually reminded every Sunday the thoughtfulness that goes into the preparation of worship. And from the song Hosanna to the reading of Zechariah chapter 9 in preparation for today is just more evidence. Um, comment, you know, when you hear something, it rings true. Uh, you know that it is true from somewhere deep within your being. And when Cindy told the story, the five-year-old brain, that rang true. Who among us? Is there anybody here? No. Is there anybody alive that's over the age of 16 whose heart would not be warmed to know that a five-year-old is praying for them? Oh, my. In Jordan's report, in Mark's report, the, uh, these encouraging testimonies of their good work. It's a, you're seeing the evidence of the, not only the information, but the evidence of the hard work that the search committee's doing, which is going to be in the hands of these candidates to see what kind of congregation, what kind of context they'd be moving into. This is incredibly important, and you're getting a, a sneak preview of what they'll be seeing. And at the same time, it's evidence of the hard work that they're doing. I've been working with churches for 44 years. That's a long time. And I don't know that I've ever worked with a congregation that has as much talent that is, that is found here in 4th Avenue. When I'm just talking about the shepherds, and the ministry staff, and the search committee, the people that I'm getting to know so well. You're a gifted, a gifted bunch. You have every reason to be encouraged about what's coming. Personal note, I have received my uh, second vaccine, and so be careful what you wish for. Uh, I had uh, some teeth done, and uh, the dentist said, don't any, let anybody see you between one stage and the next stage, but that wasn't the reason for the, the mask. But if you want me to put it back on, just let me know and I'll be, <laughs> I'll be quick to do it. Our text this morning is from Matthew chapter 21, and I would like for you to follow along. They approached Jerusalem to the Mount of Olives when Jesus said to two disciples, Go into the city, and you'll find a donkey and a colt. Untie them and bring them to me. If, there's anything, if anybody says anything to you, you're to say, The Lord has need of them. Matthew says, Which fulfills what was spoken through the prophet. Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle, and seated on a donkey, a beast of burden. And so the disciples do precisely as Jesus instructs. They bring the donkey and her colt, and they place their garments on the donkey and its colt. And Jesus sits on the donkey and the colt. While people are spreading garments on the road, others are cutting branches from the trees, spreading them on the road. Crowds going ahead, and people following, shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. But when Jesus enters Jerusalem, the city is disturbed, saying, Who is this? 
and his followers claim, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Today is the Sunday that we call Palm Sunday. The story we've just read is called the Triumphal Entry. This day, though, known to the larger world, is the lead-up to Easter Sunday, made famous in America by Irving Berlin with his 1940 Broadway hit, In your Easter bonnet, with all the frills upon it, you'll be the grandest lady in the Easter parade. Oh, I could write a sonnet about your Easter bonnet and of the girl I'm taking to the Easter parade. But today is Palm Sunday. And though we have our own parade, we are a week away from the big event. And we have been studying the sails, looking for meaningful gifts in pastel. It's time to be hoppy, Target says. And to that end, they offer Easter egg wreaths and Easter hop kitchen towels and a thousand items to fill your Easter baskets with fun. And with Easter fast approaching, Walmart has more great deals than ever on everything you love this Easter. I'm quoting from the ad. But today is Palm Sunday. It's the start of the week that Grandma is planning for Easter dinner. And though she might be seated in this very room, she's thinking about her finest china, her starched tablecloths, her heirloom crystal, and Grandma is considering which side dish to prepare to accompany her honey-baked traditional ham. But today is Palm Sunday, when every preacher is gearing up for next Sunday, the the year's biggest sermon opportunity the largest crowd of the year because Easter for the church will be like an opening day, post-pandemic celebration, new life, new hope, back to normal. Today is pre-Sunday Sunday, this lead up to Easter. Here comes Peter Cottontail hopping down the bunny trail, hippity hoppity, Easter's on its way. But all of that is next week. Today is Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry. A Sunday that we were familiar with as far back as kindergarten Sunday school. Palm Sunday, such a colorful day of Christian celebration. Jesus wearing his white robe with a blue sash. He's in his Sunday best. He's riding on a gray donkey. There's a serious boy who's holding the reins. They're laying down green palms to soften the road. And going before Jesus on that parade is two little girls, and they're throwing red petals leading the way. A triumphal entry is a colorful parade. Children running and leaping and skipping, and mothers holding babies, and people waving. It's so cheery and upbeat. The sky is a deep blue, and there's a couple of fluffy clouds overhead. But the scene I've just painted from kindergarten Sunday school looked like that, but in the distance, there's a dark, foreboding sky. And while the choir is singing this Sunday, Hosanna, Hosanna, by Friday, they'll change their tune and be crying, 
crucify, crucify. What is the music appropriate for the triumphal entry parade? Is it filled with positive, upbeat energy, excitement, like a marching band parading into the stadium, the powerful brass instruments, the heavy beat of the kettle drums and the snares, anticipating victory in the great gridiron battle? Is that the music that we're hearing? Fight song? Or is it something other, like a classical piece with light and joyful sounds and upbeat piano, positive woodwinds and an optimistic brass, a song that ends with the melancholy strings, the sad violin that holds one long note, a cry of heartache. It's Palm Sunday, but Friday's coming, and that's how we've celebrated this day in the past. Happy but not too happy because today is Palm Sunday and Friday's coming. But in the midst of all these images, uh, it's probably good for us at this moment to go back to the text to get some clarity, to get our bearings, so to speak. Today is Palm Sunday and it is the triumphal entry. And the title for today's sermon is what kind of triumph is this? Is this a victory parade or is this a sobering satire? Our text comes from Matthew 21. Matthew, who with other gospel writers, plays off an ancient and all too modern image of a triumphal entry. We might not have heard it in our Sunday school class. It doesn't have the snappy tune of Peter Cottontail but you can follow along in your program, which is found in Matthew 21. Our hero, Jesus, appears in triumph in verse 1. He proceeds with great fanfare into the city, according to verses 8 and 10. The crowds welcome and they celebrate the hero in verses 8 and 9, and songs and hymns are sung to his praise in verse 9. All I want to point out in this sermon, the only thing I want to say is that Jesus' triumphal entry is not exactly like the triumphal entries that we've seen and heard about, like in June of 1940. That was the same year that Don Amici was singing Irving Berlin's Easter Bonnet. Germany had just defeated France in what Hitler called the greatest German victory ever, and thousands of Nazi soldiers paraded through the streets of Paris under the Arc de Triomphe. Gigantic swastika billows, drums beating a military rhythm, soldiers are goose-stumping, and the German Panzer tank division is rolling in in a triumphant show of force, and you've seen the black and white clips. France is now owned by Hitler, and local elites come out to pay tribute to Hitler. They're saluting Hitler, and the world is scared to death. Or the 50s and 60s, what some of us were weaned on growing up. It's Red Square in Moscow, and countries the Soviets had, or, or countries the Soviets had, had conquered. Military parades, huge banners with the Soviet red, yellow hammer and sickle, the black silhouette of the bust of Lenin, 
large trucks. Do you remember this? Large trucks carrying huge trailers, rocket launchers and missiles and nuclear warheads, striking fear in the hearts of the enemy, striking fear in us. Well, there's a long history of triumphal parades all the way back to the Romans in their civil and their religious ceremonies to publicly celebrate the success of their military commander, the general who led the Roman forces in service to the state. On the day of the triumphal entry, the conquering hero wore a laurel crown on his head, a purple toga, a gold which was gold embroidered, and he painted his face red. Riding on a four-horse chariot through the streets of Rome in procession with his army and those people he had taken captive and the spoils of war. And then he went on to Jupiter's temple in the city where the victorious military general made a sacrifice to the god. Triumphal entries in Nazi Germany, in Soviet, the Soviet Union, and all the way back to Rome were frightening displays of the empire's muscle. Their belief that their greatness was found in their power, in their strength, in their military intimidation. That was their worldview. It demanded that the whole public look at them and grant them their greatness. And the, re the reason that I rehearse all of this for you now is to point out what a contrast Jesus' entry is. It's not like the other triumphal entries, the political empires that we've seen ourselves or that we've heard about. Jesus' triumphal entry looks a lot like a standard triumphal entry, only it's radically different. For starters, two-thirds of the story of Jesus' triumphal entry, two-thirds of it, I counted, was all about the animals. That's right. Go into the village, verse 2, and you will find a donkey and a colt. Untie the donkey and the colt and bring them to me, which fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and seated on a donkey, a beast of burden. And the disciples did just as Jesus commanded, and they brought a donkey and a colt and laid their coats on the donkey and the colt six times. Jesus' triumphal entry looks like a standard triumphal entry, only it's radically different. Jesus enters Jerusalem on a donkey. He's not riding a war horse. He's not riding some image of intimidating power. He's not in the back of a tank. There's no fighter jets going over his head. There's no nuclear weapons on the back of trailers. He's riding a donkey, a beast of burden, a symbol of scorn a symbol of humility. Jesus' triumphal entry looks like a standard triumphal entry, only it's radically different. Because Jesus is going to be a different kind of king. His reign is not oppressive. His kingdom is not based on military power and violence. Jesus, as you've heard in a lifetime of sermons, a lifetime of studying scripture, is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and relenting of evil. He's inclusive. He's life-giving. Jesus' kingdom is recognizable by service and peace. Jesus' kingdom protects the needy. It sustains the weak. It heals the sick. Jesus' kingdom doesn't come to control a city. It comes to serve a city. Jesus' triumphal entry 
looks a lot like a standard triumphal entry, only it's radically different. Jesus is not welcomed by the powerful elite. The governor and the senators and the mayor don't come out to salute him. There's no speeches from the local power brokers. He doesn't offer sacrifice in the temple. He goes to the temple. He overturns the money changers' table, and he says, you've turned my father's house of prayer into a den of thieves. That's the story that follows this one. And when he gets to the city, the city gets into, comes into turmoil. They're agitated. The, tech, the word that Matthew uses is they're disturbed. Disturbed like the earthquake that accompanies his death in chapter 27. Disturbed like the angels who overpower the guards later on in Matthew's account. And while his followers are singing Hosanna, Jesus is creating an earth-shaking, disturbing presence. His triumphal entry is a lot like other triumphal entries, only it's radically different. Rome dresses itself in power. Rome flexes its muscle. Rome shows its weapons of brute strength. And Jesus rides in on a donkey. Which leads to the question of this sermon. If Jesus' triumphal entry is so radically different from other triumphal entries, then why is he even making it look like a triumphal entry known to us in the past and familiar to us today? Is this a victory parade or is this a sobering satire? Jesus is imitating the empire so that he can critique that world. He's imitating the empire so that he can judge the world and offer that world and offer us a different way of thinking. It's a satire that imitates the current reality to ridicule it. A contrast so bold, so distinct, that we're not supposed to be able to miss the critique and the judgment and the ridicule. It's a satire, is what it is, intending for us to change our worldview, to change how we see things, to change our human tendency to trust muscle, to trust brute strength, to trust power. Mark read for us earlier, Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. Chosen for the reading today, obviously, because it's found in Matthew 21. And Zechariah 9, 9 that he read describes the kind of Messiah that Jesus would be. The donkey and the colt, these symbols of peace and humility. But if we read on even to the next verse, Zechariah 9 verse 10, we discover what kind of king Jesus will be. He will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, the text says, and the war horse from Jerusalem. The weapons of war shall be cut off, and he will command peace to all the nations. Jesus comes not as a warrior king, the kind of king this satire rejects and critiques. Jesus comes not as a conquering general, but as one who brings peace. The ways of the world are to fight and to bully and to intimidate. It seems like it's in our DNA. It just does. You find it in our neighborhood associations sometimes. You find it in area businesses sometimes. You even find it in local government sometimes. Unfortunately, I even find it in my personal life. 
in my relationships. To follow the Prince of Peace, to be in his triumphal parade, is to march, though, to a different drummer, to imagine a different way of living. Jesus flips the script in this satire. And so when evangelical pastors and bloggers call for Christians to stockpile their weapons to prepare for the inevitable civil war, remember that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Remember his triumphal entry is on a donkey. Remember that he flipped the script that had been followed by Rome, that will be followed by Nazi Germany and the Soviet Union and reject such worldly language. And when violence broke out in Washington, D.C. in early January, violence that was shrouded in Christian symbolism of cross and prayer, know that despite the symbolism, they were practicing the ways of the world, the ways that Jesus critiqued and rejected. My references to the Easter bunny and the Easter bonnet and the Easter parade a few minutes ago were meant as a parody. I was trying to make comment by, of the, on these blending of symbols. I was trying to uh, get a smile. If the singing didn't so reject you, I was hoping for the parody to create a smile of critique. But the triumphal entry is not a parody. The triumphal entry is a satire, and there's nothing funny about it. It's a wake-up call to move us into a different direction. From the outskirts of Jericho, Jesus travels up to Jerusalem. He arrives at the Mount of Olives in verse 1, and he sends two disciples to obtain a donkey and her colt. He rides the animal and he enters Jerusalem with great ceremony, but in humility without any display of military might. The the crowds spread their garments, tree branches are on the trail. They pay homage due to a king, shouting Hosanna with petitions of salvation, save us. And he shows them how. He conceives of greatness in terms of service, and he satires the empire's triumphal entry for a different goal, to serve and not to dominate, for peace and not for conquest. And when he entered Jerusalem, all the city was disturbed. They said, who is this? And the crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. And in his triumphal parade, he's not wearing the conquering general's laurel crown. For five short days later, he will have a crown of of thorns thrust on his brow. Jerusalem, of course, he will say in just a couple chapters, is known for killing the prophets. It's Sunday, but Friday's coming. And so I close by saying that this triumphal entry rejects the displays of power. It rejects the conquering generals, and it rejects displays of violence. and replaces all of that with a faith that emphasizes peace, with a faith that privileges humility and with the faith with the faith that has Jesus on a palm sunday donkey in a triumphal entry may it be so